Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Laura Martin Bovard of LMB Interiors. That's right, we're doing it again and handing things over to another BOD member. And we are looking forward to inviting more of our BOD members into the spotlight. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design, and I get to speak and email with members every day who I know have so much to share with our community. We've always had an open invitation to those members who want to be interviewed on the show, but now I am excited to work one-on-one with long-term members who are ready to take over the mic and interview someone who inspires you, motivates you, or has had a real impact on your business. Our community wants to hear from you. So please reach out to me, Cheryl at businessofdesign.com, if you're interested. In this episode, Laura Martin Bovard is talking with fellow San Francisco designer, Jennifer Jones of Niche Interiors, an award-winning residential interior design firm. Jennifer's designs achieve an elusive blend of sophistication and sustainability. Jennifer is frequently quoted as an industry expert on sustainable living and is an ambassador to the Sustainable Furnishings Council and a founding member of the Good Future Design Alliance. Niche Interiors has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Lux Magazine, El Decor, and Forbes. If you want to check out Jennifer's work, you can find her at nicheinteriors.com or on Instagram at niche underscore interiors. Laura and Jennifer are going to do a deep dive on the topic of curating your business the way you curate your designs, from hiring the right staff to choosing which clients are the right fit for your firm. In this candid share-all conversation that I know our Business of Design community has come to expect from Laura, she's appeared on several BOD podcast episodes before. Laura and Jennifer are going to talk about perfection, confidence, educating clients, saying no, and everything in between. But before I hand things over, we're excited that Laura and her staff from LMB Interiors will be joining us for the next BOD Live coming up on April 14th. They'll be sharing the inner workings of their office dynamics, how responsibilities are shared, delegating communications, and of course, they'll be answering questions. BOD Live meetings are included in your membership, and we're going to be holding the April meeting at a new time to accommodate many of our members in Australia, so we're going to mix things up in April. So please mark your calendars and join us on Wednesday, April 14th at 9 p.m. EST, which is 6 p.m. PST, for our Australian members. That's going to be Thursday, April 15th at 1 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time and 10 a.m. Australian Western Standard Time. So please check out the website for those dates and times again. But coming up uh, next week on Wednesday, March 24th, we've got our BOD Boss webinar, which will cover everything you want to know about joining one of our boss groups, from applying to the actual meeting format and what you can expect to gain from participating in these groups. We are laying it all out for you. And of course, Kimberly and Team BOD will be answering your questions. So again, that's going to happen on Wednesday, March 24th. And we've got two times available. So the first session is going to be at 1 p.m. EST and the second's at 9 p.m. EST. You do need to register to attend these webinars and you can do that at businessofdesign.com. So please head there to register and save your spot. So we are excited to see you there. And of course, we're also excited to hand things over to the amazing Laura Martin Bovard, AKA the Divine Hustler. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. 
Unlike traditional coaching, EOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like EOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Okay, I think we're rolling. So Jennifer, welcome. I am uber delighted to talk with you today. And so guys, I'm interviewing Jennifer Jones of Niche Interiors. And I'm going to give a little preamble that Jennifer may not be expecting because I really, I, one of the things I love about you, Jen, is that you are, you're what I love to call a sneak attack. Like you're such a gracious, humble, quiet person. But when we have met, when we hang out at industry events, you are so damn funny. And I love your wit and your brilliant mind. And I think that watching your career I'll never forget. I mean, I think maybe was it 10 years ago, you and I met at the design center in San Francisco and you were just so um, curious and asking questions about my business. And then I just, I sort of watched you like an anomaly. Like you just like everything you touch seems to like elevate your brand even more. And you were so freaking smart to get in on kind of the cutting edge of technology and um, joining house so early. And then I started seeing you show up at speaking events and all of these things. And I think the way that you curate your business is not dissimilar from the way that you curate your designs. It's, it seems to me very thoughtful and with such intentionality. And it's sort of like you're the, the Buddha, like you'll just sit and wait for the right opportunity. And then you... <laughs> And then you so, start. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so I want to dive into some some questions because even as someone who's many years your your senior in age, um, and I've had my business a few years longer, I think that so much of what you've done is now an expander for me, and I think that that's something that a lot of listeners probably um, could could do well with is finding other designers who have successful businesses and learning from them so that they can bypass all the things that we went through getting to where we are. And as we were kind of chatting a little bit before we started the call today is that what can we offer to help these young business owners and designers bypass some of the emotional grief that we go through um, and so we'll be covering that and, and many other things. But before we go there, how about if we just start with how did you becoming an interior designer come to be? Like share a little bit about your background and who you are and what you would like people to know about you. Okay, well, first off, Laura, thank you for inviting me on. I'm thrilled to talk to you and see you because it's been so long. We're not running into each other at design events anymore. And it's a yeah. little bit sad and lonely, um, but I'm happy to see your face. Um, so I actually went to UC Davis and studied general design. So kind of all different facets of design, not specializing in interiors. And then I started off my career as a graphic designer, working at a nonprofit, doing brochures every day at my computer, just like the same thing every day, you know, 2D on a screen. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I just 
<laughs> was not my thing. It was not interesting enough. Every day was the predictable thing. Um, and so I started actually a line of pillows. That was my, my entree into interior design. So I, I made a pillow for a friend for her birthday and everyone loved the pillow. They're like, where did you get it? I'm like, oh, maybe I should start making these. So I started selling <laughs> all these pillows. I sold them at a few boutiques in the city. Um, I remember being really excited to see one like propped up in a store display next to like a Jonathan Adler vase. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm so thrilled. Like that was just like a <laughs> moment for me. Um, but the line of pillows, you know, that's a whole thing. It's not really, you have to invest a lot of capital. You have, you know, production. Just a, that's a whole nother thing that I just was like, this isn't what I want to do. I think I just discovered that I loved interior design more than like the product of pillows. And so I went back to Berkeley Extension at night and studied interior design and took the whole course and had a full-time job and did classes at night and got into it that way. And that was sort of and then I worked for two different design firms as an assistant before launching my own firm. How long did you work as an assistant for those other two firms? Like what was the length of time? I'd say a total of two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, in hindsight, it wasn't, I would have liked it to be longer. <laughs> I mean, I think I could have learned a lot more. And part of it was that the second designer I worked for, um, you know, it was a little difficult. Um, and it was sort of like one of those things that wasn't planned on leaving, but it just wasn't the mo most ideal working environment. So I kind of just like was launched out on my own quicker than I planned to and hustled and tried to make that work. But, you know, if you can find a good place to work, I think learning and learning all the what to do and what not to do from an established firm is invaluable. Well, I'm really with you, Jen, on this idea that working for an established firm for at least a decent amount of time is certainly a, a smart way to approach it. I think that so much of the downfalls that I had in my early years as a business owner were just out of um, total lack of knowledge about really how to run a company. I mean, I never knew that I would create a company and it almost happened on accident, but I think that that having a little bit more time with the firm, you know, don't you think like yes. it bodes well for less heartache in the end? For sure. You get to learn the systems. I mean, that's a huge part of it. Um, you know, there's so much that goes into running a, a design business, you know, beyond just like the creative work and the CAD skills, but, you know, markups and how to, how to handle clients and how to handle difficult clients, watching, you know, seasoned designers respond to all these things in a, graceful way. Yeah. I think if I could do it again, I would have probably maybe tried to find another design firm that I was, a, it was a better fit for me, but at the same time, like you said, it all is meant to be, it all worked out, you know? Yeah. It, well, you yeah. Look really at you now. Like, right. Yeah. Look, I mean, you yeah. Can't really do what ifs, the what ifs drive me crazy, but um, we, I figured it out. It probably just would have been easier to figure out, I guess is the answer. Um, faster. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think that that is a, um, this conversation about our own experience early on working for firms is a natural, you know, entree into the conversation about hiring. So you shared with me that you're pretty slow to hire. And recently we've had some conversation about, you know, whether, you know, certain designers are a good fit for the firm and so can you share a little bit about your philosophy around why you think it's important to hire slow and, and what that's done for your business? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, it's always been about finding the right people and not so much about, I want to grow to a certain number. I want, we want to have 10 to 15 employees. Like the growth has never been the end goal for me. It's always been creating a company of like-minded, you know, women and or men. We haven't had any men yet, but who's to say we won't, um, <laughs> that really have the same values and really want to grow the company and are really in it. You know, it's kind of like a work family, right? So if it, for me, when we've hired, made a hire out of need or desperation or like just trying to rush it, like we will fill this position and we need to do it by this date and just hire the best person. That's never, ever worked out. That's always been a recipe for disaster. So, so you have done that to be yes. clear. That has happened for that you. Has happened. Like, well, we really need someone, um, a junior person. Um, we're going to interview everyone we can over like one month um, and pick the best person. Even if we don't necessarily feel that person like is perfect or like totally gels, they're like, maybe they have the right um, skill set, but maybe culturally and not perfect, but you know, it's just, you just do it, right? Because you need help and that hasn't worked out. And so I've always, I've just learned, I'm just gonna keep my original plan, which was to organically grow the company, starting with, you know, my first hire was Lynn, which was unbelievably nine years ago when I was pregnant. Um, and then slowly we grew and added Anna before she was out of college actually. And she came in, I remember for an interview and it was like, she's still a college student. She was so confident, well-spoken, had a portfolio. I was just like, oh my God, I'm blown away. I was not like this at 21. Like what, <laughs> what is happening, you know? And she saw our posting on Facebook cause she followed us and like, she wanted a job at Niche Interiors. You know, that wow. is the difference that's a huge, that's the difference. Like you just, someone who just wants a job or who wants to work for your company, for you, for exactly. you likes what our culture is, what we're doing, wants to be a part of it. And it's, it only works out well for me when I hire people who are invested and like-minded. You know, what's so interesting about what you're sharing is that what I can, what I can point toward as a, as a business owner, both in terms of hiring employees and as a person who is deciding whether or not to take a client or not. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, when I can feel energetic, like I, everything for me is about energy. And so if I can feel energetically an emotional connection with someone, if they feel passionate about working for me, I mean, I, my perspective and the way I approach things is probably different than a lot of firms. Like I am, I'm a little bit like the wild, wild West. I want to have dance parties. I want to talk about personal growth. I want to talk about health and wellness. It's not just about interior design for me. And what I've come to realize is that when I have an interview with somebody and I feel like if a little bit of tears come, because I hear them sharing, um, about something that I connect with on a soul level, then I know we're going to create beautiful interiors together because there's the shared reality of this kind of sisterly connection that is what I have had with, an, with quite a few of employees, particularly Darshan, who's been with me now for more than 10 years and, and several others who I still work with. But the ones who don't last a long time, I, I think are just not culturally a fit. And if you go back to it, you can kind of know like, oh, I hired during a time where I was under pressure and I really needed somebody. And I wish I had had your fortitude because I, you know, 
I don't wish anything. I don't live by regrets, but I can see moving forward that I'll be more of a curator in the way that you're describing, I think. I mean, don't, I'm not going to say that I haven't made mistakes for sure have, but that's the, that's the thing that works that I always come back to. And that's, that's something I won't change now. Like I've learned my lesson, you know, it's not easy though, when you're really busy and slammed and you're desperate for help, you know, I mean, it's not an easy thing to stay the course, but well, amen to that. I, I hear you. I think it really takes a very strong connection to self and to really trust your wisdom to learn these lessons quickly. And so that you cannot have to keep relearning them. Yeah. And I'm 18 years in, maybe 19 at this point. And um, I feel so, so good about the staff that we've recently brought on. Um, and I feel like there are those unicorns that you're describing like Anna yeah. was, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, fun. So I think that leads kind of into some of the conversation we wanted to have about how do we decide whether to take a client or not? And what are, what are your key markers for, yes, they're a client and your key markers for, I'm going to take a pass on this one. Do you have a strategy? Um, this is a doozy of a, of a topic, I think. Um, yes, definitely. I've developed a strategy in the beginning, you know, when you're first starting out, you don't have this ideal client, right? You're just kind of like, oh, you want to hire me? You want to pay me to You're do like, it? Oh, thank love. you. You picked me. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Great. I don't care who you are. I don't know what neighborhood you live in. I don't care what your budget is. Um, then you quickly realize, unless you want to burn out, that you can't, can't say yes to everyone. And for me, I've learned like some red flags. So I think that might be the place to start is like my red flags that I have. When I'm talking to, I always do an initial phone consultation with a, a potential client first. Um, and then I feel like that that's a good way to understand what someone's like. And then if it's, if it goes well, then we'll move on to an in-person consultation. But a lot of times on the phone, I'll get a, a little red flag and I kind of take notes on that. Right. So one of them, one of my favorites was when someone says, um, I'm just really looking for ideas. So if you hear the word ideas, honestly, that's just like my fire is going off. Like the red flags are waving. Um, that's because they just don't want you to execute the design. They want your ideas and I think they can do it themselves. So that's one red flag. Um, another one, or I could, I could do this myself, but I just don't have the time. You know, if they don't value your, your creativity as an interior design firm and understand what you're bringing to the, to the project, that's a no-go for me. Um, and then in-person meetings, this, is a, this has happened to me. So I, I always like to see, do they offer you a glass of water? It's so simple. And I know this is like, this is not a new thing. This is not a new test, but for me, it really plays true. I love um, this. Yes. I, I met a client. I was seven months pregnant. It was um, like up all these flights of stairs. It was on a really hot day. I'm like dying. We get to their penthouse and she's like, oh, do you want some water? And I was like, oh my God. And then I look over, she's talking to her dogs. She's literally asking her dogs and like, do you guys want some water? <laughs> and I'm sitting there sweating seven months pregnant. I'm like, wait, this isn't actually happening right now. So I was just, she's giving the dogs water. I'm just staring at her like what? And you know, guess what? I didn't listen to my gut and I took that project because I needed it at the time. And that was one of the worst decisions because if that doesn't tell you something about what a person will be like to work with, I don't know what will. Let me ask you a question though. Did you advocate for yourself and say, I would like some water? No, I did not. <laughs> I just, 
I was flabbergasted. I just stood there just like in shock. Sometimes in the moment we're in such shock. We don't even know yeah. how to get the words out. Right. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh. And if they, if they take your estimate, which we always do a design estimate and they kind of look at it at the minutia and they ask questions and they kind of nitpick any estimate that you create and ask like a million questions that would be for, you know, for voting of like how, what's it going to happen in the future when you sent them an invoice um, that sort of nit, you can tell if someone's going to be really nitpicky if they ask certain types of questions about billables, like will you charge like this many minutes for this? Or you're like, whoa, you know, back it up. Yeah. So those are some yes. of the main ones. Yeah. Interesting. I love these. And then what about, what are the, what are the signs of, yes, this feels like this is going to be a good fit of a project? Yeah. Um, I think you just need, first of all, you have to generally think the person is reasonable. <laughs> That's just like the baseline. Like is, do they seem like a reasonably nice person? I mean, that, mm -hmm. that they can't, if we can't get past that step, um, it's just not going to work. Right. So you have to have that level of like rapport that you can chat and feel like you could have a conversation and you might know them out in the wild in the real world and be friends with them or, or maybe not friends, but you know, be able to understand each other. Um, being down to earth is something that I've found that we, we attract very down to earth clients. So even mm. though we offer very high level interior design services, most of our clients, even though they have wealth, they, they don't like the attitude that comes along with the high end exactly. services. And so that's something that internally we say, you know, high end design, the down to earth attitude, kind of like that's our, one of our internal sort of mottos. Um, Another client that uh, values design and appreciates what we bring to the table and has a collaborative spirit, I think is really important. Um, and then also, this is a smaller percentage of the inquiries we get, but people who really want full service, meaning nuts and bolts, everything. They, they want us to be involved the whole process. You know, they don't, they're not just looking for ideas. They want yeah. you to come up with the concepts, but also do the project management. Um, they want you to pick out their art or help curate accessories they want you to handle everything right and that those are the projects that I think are the most successful and those that's the only type of projects that we take on so mm -hmm. yeah that narrows down the field yeah so at what point did you get to the place where you decided what scope size you'll take so I imagine if you're anything like how it was for me in the beginning I was like oh I'll take you know whatever I'll take one room or I'll yeah. take um two rooms. And then, you know, I started out really loving the art of decorating and curating, but then eventually people obviously wanted, wanted remodels and kitchen design and all those kinds of things. But was there a certain point in your career where you decided, okay, this is our barrier to entry. If you want to work with mm -hmm. niche interiors, you have to have X amount of budget and X amount of scope. Yeah, definitely. I think that was a, a, real light bulb moment, you know, I don't know, five, maybe five or six years ago, where it was like, how do we evaluate all of these inquiries that are coming in? Because it, it just mm -hmm. took so much time and energy to mm -hmm. take each one individually. So we just were like, okay, we need a minimum, minimum project size, minimum budget. And that really helps evaluate. So I think, yeah, three rooms is our minimum. And it, now it's higher, but that in the past before this year, which has been just bananas, it's been, you know, three rooms from scratch um, in a house. Um, I've learned that clients who want to do parts of a room, that never works out well for us because they don't feel like the room changes enough 
even though they, they don't want to part with their sofa or their rug, they think we can still do something miraculous, but we really can't unless we can have the ability to change the entire room. So right. three rooms from scratch in a home is sort of like the minimum. Like usually it's the formal living and dining room and the master or the primary bedroom, right? Uh, something like that. And yeah. minimum budget, uh, like two, 250, 250,000. Mm-hmm. And does that include construction and, and FF and E? That would include furniture budget. So not, yeah. not the actual construction, which I think uh, of as a separate bucket for, for totally. Fees. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I'd say 250 is on the high end for three rooms, but those are two separate things that now it's evolved to 250 is sort of the minimum entry point now. And that would be addressing more than three rooms, but right. Um, yeah. 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 Well, isn't it wonderful when you get to the place where you have a standard, Yeah. you know, and then it, it just makes it easy. And um, I don't know if you have this on your website, but I will say that for the listeners, one of the best things that we ever did for um, gathering clients is, or, you know, leads for projects is that we put a, a pretty thorough form on uh, if they want to reach out and connect with us, then there's this very thorough form that they have to fill out. And one of the questions um, in there is what's your budget range? And a lot of times people need to be educated before they understand what their range is. So maybe they have means, but it's been, you know, 15 years since they furnished an entire house and they simply don't know the cost of high-end furnishings. I think that that is an opportunity to educate. Um, And so sometimes we don't, always focus on just the budget. We look at other things. Like we have questions like on a scale of one to 10, how strong of a decision maker are you? Hmm. You know, things like that, because we know that if somebody is a, um, a perseverator and they have a hard time making decisions and they hire a designer because they have low self-trust, then we run the risk of maybe becoming a little bit of a therapist. Um, And then we have to educate them that the longer they take in making these decisions, even when we've offered them very viable, beautiful designs, that their design fee estimate, that we can't stick to the budget that we offered if they are that type of decision maker. And so do you have any um, suggestions about how to navigate through that territory of the indecisive client? That's a brilliant idea. I think you just answered that. I don't have, I don't have something like that. That's a very targeted question. I think that's really smart. I might, might have to take that. Um, no, I don't. I don't think I've, I've found it difficult to find out and suss out which clients will be indecisive. Um, yeah. Won't find that I figured that out until it's too late. <laughs> yeah. And then we're spending or spinning our wheels and showing like. 25 different chandeliers instead of five chandeliers. And then you're, well, then you're not a, then you're not a designer anymore. Now you've become their shopper. Yes. And that is exhausting. 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 And it's also, it's not rewarding because you never get, I found that those clients, they just spin and spin and nothing moves, you know, like the wheels are spinning, but they're not on the ground. Like you're not moving right. forward. And that as a designer for me is very frustrating because the ultimate goal is to make the changes, make them happy, complete your design and your vision, get done with the project, move on to the next project. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I also find that momentum, momentum is really your friend when it comes to design. You know, it's like, if you don't capitalize on that momentum and, you know, 
no matter how many ways I phrase it, I don't know that people ever get it. What I have come to realize though over the years is that for me, the trigger, the triggers that, that the projects offer for me is an opportunity for me. I've had to coach my staff about this, that, you know, if they're not arguing about paying the bills and they're willing to pay for you to be an order taker, at least as long as they're being respectful, then, then they know they're paying for it. Part of some people just love this process of doing interior design mm -hmm. and, you know, they, they see us as a surrogate, you know? Whether we want to be seen as a surrogate or not is another question. Um, yeah, well, so how about if you can share um, a few things that you have in the works and what maybe, like, what is your favorite project and go through some real life um, tips on what you did to win the project? Hmm. You know, I know you, you're very fond of your past clients and how no. they... Yeah. And that's a person that comes to mind is my favorite projects are, are with our long-term have been typically with our long-term clients because they trust us so much. You know, you have that like symbiotic relationship as one client calls it, he referred to it as the Vulcan mind meld, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Um, and true. And, you know, he asked me, do you have this relationship with all your clients? Like you get what I'm talking about or I'll send you something and we're totally on the same page. And I was like, no, <laughs> not all, not always. I mean, it's great if you are, but like, this is like, a, that's next level. But that takes, you know, after working together for six years, you know, like you. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not I like I was going to say, is that luck or is that um, like you, you put some effort into making that happen? Definitely put some effort into it. But then it's just also just working on multiple houses together and just understanding their aesthetics so well you understand their aesthetic so well that you basically are in their brain, right? Like, you know what they would like if they were looking at first. Dibs. Totally. So, um, but as far as favorite projects, you know, our, I think it'll, it stands out to me for forever is our first ground up project, which is in Telegraph Hill. We worked on uh -huh. work design. Um, and that was a huge challenge. That was like one of those game changing phone calls that you get from a potential client. Like, Oh, what's the project? And they're like, Oh, it's, it's 8,000 square feet. Oh, um, you know, is it furnishings? No, it's ground up and furnishings. Oh my gosh. You know, are you sure you called the right designer? Like at that point, you know, <laughs> we, we were like, we're not a big name, you know, that was like a huge deal for us. Um, but this client, you know, took a chance on us and wow. um, it was, it was amazing because our team, we learned so much so fast. And I, I felt like at the end we did, a, uh, we pulled it off, but we gave it our, our all, you know? So that, that's a favorite project. And that will always be a favorite project of mine. It's yeah. a beautiful house too. And um, I think the architecture and the interior design really spoke to each other and was very well integrated. So I was proud of that project. Yeah. Yeah, I remember Kirk Phillips, our dear friend who passed away from Shears and Window at the San Francisco Design Center when I was just getting started. He's like, Laura, you just need one killer project. And then after that, you'll have pictures on your website and then the rest of it will just take care, care of itself from there. And I, I have found that to be so true. Um, well, so speaking of, you know, going back in time, you know, I think that one of the things I, I love to talk about, if anyone, many people who 
um, have listened to me on the business of design podcast as a guest with Kimberly also have listened to some of my divine hustler stuff. And I think that the message that I want to share with the world really is who does your, who, who have you had to become as a result of growing this business? That's a good so question. I'd love to put that question to you. Like, who have you had to become? Who was yeah. your future self that you had to step into in order to go from, you know, a young lady making pillows to having a multi-million dollar, you know, interior design firm that is award-winning and so, so visible here in the Bay Area, especially, but I know you design all over the place. So who are you on your, on this journey? No pressure. Um, I liked your episode that I listened to when you were actually being interviewed on business of design and you, you talked about your recovering perfectionist, I believe is mm. the term you used. And I related to that a lot because that is something that I think held me back in the beginning frequently is that I wanted to do everything so perfectly, you know, like the right way to do it and perfect. And I, you know, I just realized that that, what is the saying? 80% is perfection. That is like something that I've just had to come to terms with. You know, I want the project and the furniture pieces and everything for the client to be perfect, but everything in life can't be perfect. The process that you've designed or the internal documentation system might not be perfect, but it's good enough, you know, just not getting hung up on that. Um, and then also letting go of the self-doubt, um, I think was a huge, huge thing. I'm not sure if, you know, I, I don't, I don't, not sure if it's because as women, that's part of what we're it's sort of ingrained is, you know, um, the confidence deficits, um, but it was just always like, am I doing this the right way? Or should I, or shouldn't I? And finally, I just realized, I'm no, like, I'm just going to do this the way I'm running this business, the way I think it should be ran. I'm going to stop, um, you know, asking other people for advice. You know, I'd always mm -hmm. ask my dad, who's, you know, a VP of a big company, like, oh, how should I do this? And like, you know, that was a long time ago. I'm not calling my dad anymore. Just, just to be, make it clear, but you know, you just like, you got to let go of what everyone else thinks and realize it's your business. You're creating a business and a life, like relying on your own voice and listening to your own voice and trusting your gut was huge. Instead of just so much doubt, it's just like, what does your gut say? And the guts, your gut is always right. Yeah. You know? Well, as I discussed with Kimberly on the, the last um, episode I was on, I think that we come in knowing our worth. We come in full of our own sass. We come in full of our own expression. And then over time, the culture just wears that part of us that knows our truth down. Um, mostly, you know, through our education system, like an A plus, get an A plus, get an A plus. Well, you know, when people create successful businesses, so much of that is about fail, 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 fail. But we're taught that failure is such a horrible thing that we don't realize that getting a C plus is actually winning, you know? And so I've been joking around, like I'm a solid C plus, a solid <laughs> C plus. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh, hell yeah. I made a mistake because how do you learn? You make mistakes, right. right? And this whole perfectionism thing is a real addiction. I've noticed particularly for beauty makers, because we have this interpretation that our clients are hiring us to make it perfect, but they're not hiring us to make it perfect. And now that I know that about myself, I can, I really do educate our clients up front to say, you know, if you want your drapery, you know, within an eighth inch, um, at the hem drop, I'm not your designer. If you want a soulful, beautiful, 
curated space that you're going to feel like coming home to yourself and, and you're going to want to entertain and gather your family, then I got your number. But don't hire me if you want perfection, because I will not give it to you. Like I'm a total, I'm a total disaster in some ways, but I'm like, I'm like the perfect storm in a way. I like, I like how that's so, um, you're so self-aware to say that to clients too. And it takes some guts to tell that to a client to say, we're not providing, you know, we don't, the goal isn't perfection. Um, then also, I think these rooms that you say are soulful, it's very much like the wabi-sabi perfectly imperfect aspect of it too, right? Like where we're intentionally not trying to make everything too matchy or you want that right. one thing that's like a little bit off or unexpected. Um, yeah. I agree with you. That's interesting. Yeah. I will say that the, the benefit of, of aging is really, um, you know, you may have to bleep this out, but, uh, at 50 is a real thing. And I would say that I'm, I'm desiring that for women in their thirties, you know, don't wait till you're 50 to decide that you are worth it to set a boundary with a client who's being disrespectful to raise your rates to, you know, let a client even mid project know that it was a bad decision to work with them because they're being disrespectful over and over and over again, yeah. you know? And I think that when I talk about who have you had to become, it's like, I like what I hear you saying, Jen is like, I've become a principal who knows my value. And I know how I want to spend my life force energy. I want to work with people who I connect with and who belong with me so that work can be fun. Yes. You know, it's not just about getting the job done here, right? We're trying to live a quality life, including the people that I work with all day long, it's including so the clients I choose to work with. Just like you're picky about who you married. Um, you know, you want to know that the clients that you're working for and with and the staff you're working for and with are people you want to sit down and have a drink with at the end of the day. So true. That's exactly not go home and drink because you're trying to yeah. medicate against dealing yeah. with their asses. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I agree. If, if someone, if a client makes an employee cry, then, you know, that's, that's not good. You know, that hasn't happened too many times, but for me, that's like, that's it. You know, you intentionally, if you're so and that we've learned to just sort of say we're better at saying no. And if I could say one piece of advice to younger designers starting out is I'd learn to say no make that your goal. Say no, practice it, say it in the mirror. <laughs> no, yes. friend, you know, for me, no has been more freeing than saying yes, because oh it, it allows you to leave open the space for the, for the right projects, the right clients. Um, if you're saying yes to all the wrong ones, then you won't have the energy to vote, to devote to the right ones. Man, that is some powerful wisdom. I have to say, I mean, I think that learning the art of the seduction is partly saying no and also giving yourself the benefit of the pause sitting with it like i think as a perfectionist recovering perfectionist the the thing is oh i better say no because i don't know what's coming i better say yes because i don't know what's coming yeah and we're addicted to this um you know the certainty oh i want to be able to grow my business i better say yes to this project because it's a big budget even though i suspect this client may not treat me well and then we override our intuition so i'm hoping that more and more women will start to get and, and men too um will start to get this earlier on instead of waiting and that's the whole benefit of listening to podcasts like this is 
you know, I love what Kimberly has done on this podcast because it's really learning from each other so that we can bypass all the grief of all the times we said yes and betrayed ourselves. <laughs> you know, so true. It's so true. I wish there, I mean, I wish there was podcasts back when I was starting. My I know. Business, right. I mean, Isn't like, that so true? Yeah. yeah. I am so there with you. Like I think about how lucky young, young people who are starting out businesses, there's so much access to, you know, not just business of design, but man, I'm a podcast junkie. I listen one. I had, um, I used to be mentored by this woman named JJ Virgin. She now is like a nutritionist to the stars and JJ, I met when I was in college, she said one thing to me, turn your car into a university on wheels and you will never regret it. Like, and so I have spent 30 years listening to Wayne Dyer, Brian Tracy, you know, you name it, like all the, all the people that are into the personal growth world. And that is a tip that I would definitely encourage anyone who's starting out a business is to really spend your downtime feeding and fueling your, your mind, body, and spirit, because that is the self you bring to your design practice. And that is the self that your clients will pay top dollar for is if they feel trust with you, because you, I I think that we teach people how to treat us um, and they value us more when they can see we take care of ourselves because then that says to them, I'm going to take care of you too. Mm -hmm. You know, that's good advice. That's good advice. I didn't mean to turn this into a divine hustler moment. I (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. Channeling her today. (laughs) Um, So why don't we wrap up with this? Um, What, what is the, what advice would you give to um, somebody starting out in their interior design business that you wish somebody had said to you aside from what we've already covered? Or is there any like gem that you want to offer? Yeah. That you wish someone had said to you? I actually do. And it's pretty full circle. It's something that you said to me probably, I don't know, eight or nine years ago when I was struggling with how to do accounting, which accounting firm to hire. And you said kind of flippantly, well, you know, there's no perfect way to run a business. (laughs) It was like something that was just so obvious to you, but in my mind, it just like clicked. Oh my God, there really is no perfect way to run a business. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Um, That honestly has stuck with with me. And whenever I am just like overly obsessing about like the right 401k plan for our our team or, you know, whatever it is, like going down, like overthinking decisions. I just think there is no perfect way to run a business. That's so true. Let go of this idea of the standard of perfect way to run a business and think about what's the best way to run my business or what's the best way to run the business for me and my team. So that's the best. Oh my gosh, Jen. So thank you for that (laughs) nugget. I appreciate it. I, uh, I, you have me on the verge of tears. I just needed that reminder. Um, because it's so, um, it still remains true, right? It's like as perfectionists, we just keep trying, Oh, if we just do this one thing, then we'll get it right. Then we'll finally arrive. And it's like, uh, uh-uh. I think that the other part of that, not, not having no perfect way to run a business sort of in that energy of that, that comment is to fall in love with the process of growing your business. So you're not waiting for this outcome at the end. You actually fall in love with the day-to-day of this day, this moment, 
in this time space reality, am I enjoying this? Because that is all you have is that moment. And so, you know, I think it's all about stacking up those good moments is what leads to a great business leads to a great life. Yeah. You're right. Well, I could just talk with you all day long. It's such a joy. And I I have to say it was so fun for me at the, on my, on the last interview I did with Kimberly, where she's, and I said, Oh, you know, I want to, you know, teach more and inspire more beauty makers to bypass some of this. And, you know, I, I wish I had time someday, maybe I'll have a podcast. And she said, Oh, you could host this podcast. <laughs> and so you were really the first person that came to mind because I have absolutely admired you and your grace and your humor and how candid and also your generosity of spirit. I mean, I think that the old school way of running the interior design business is about these are my resources. I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm not going to share because what if somebody takes it and then they bypass me? Like that's very patriarchal, right? Right. We're, We're stepping into a new era. I believe where there's so much reciprocity. If you succeed and do a good job, then that you just make our industry look better. Right. And I'm such a believer that everyone lands with the designer they're meant to land with. And so there's no competition. You know, there's so much business out there and having that mindset of that. And that is something that you have always um, demonstrated. Like anytime I ask you for anything, you're just right there with such a generous response. And I, I want to encourage other designers to come from that same generosity of spirit, because I think that that makes us all feel more seen and safe in the world, you know? Thank you, Laura. And I feel the same way about you. So thank you for all your advice over the years. And it's really that our design community is amazing here in the Bay Area I mean, everywhere, but I appreciate really. all of our people and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really we chose a great profession. I love interior designers and what we're doing in the world. It's so awesome. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, you'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today.